Oasis Online, I'm so honored to be here, excited to be here. Um, please wait until after the message to make some love at home. Uh, just stick with me for the next 30 minutes. It won't be too long for you, um, but thank you guys. Thank you for that amazing intro. I want to be upfront with you and let you know that this is a message I am very much processing in real time. So there, I know where I want us to go. I don't quite know which route I want to take. So we might take the freeway. We might take back roads. It really depends on the, blue, uh, the playlist. We're going to make a couple stops on the way. But I promise if you stick with me through this, we're going to end up somewhere together that I believe will be incredibly impactful for the rest of this year as well as the rest of your life. And I don't say that lightly. I'm going to pray for me as well as for you. And then we're going to get started. Holy Spirit, you, then me. Open ears, open hearts. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word and share what you have put on my heart. I pray that you guide my words and that they hit home as they need to and as you intend them to. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. If you hadn't had a chance to check out last Sunday's message, it technically was not a part of the Ghosted series, but it's an incredible message and something that Pastor Julian shared last week actually inspired part of the direction that we're going to be going today. So he talked about uh, before and after. Sometimes we try to take a shortcut and shortcut the before to get to the after. And before we give people the truth, we have to give them the good news of the gospel. And that really sat with me. And I kept thinking about that. And I realized without Holy Spirit, the gospel is like handing an 85-pound weight to a toddler. It's just something that's going to depress us, that's going to potentially crush us, or make us very aware of how inadequate we are to represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take a couple stops on the way to where I want us to go. The first stop is if you can open your Bibles or open your iPhones or open your other window, say what's up in the chat to everybody, to Luke 3, and we're going to start in verse 21. Luke 3, verse 21. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. Descended just means came down, like parachuted, floated, hovered, lower to the ground. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. We could do five weeks just on the power of a father saying that to a child. Uh, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And the message version says Jesus was 30-something. Now, a chapter later in Luke 4, Jesus heads back to Nazareth, heads back to where he's from, and begins to read scriptures. And one of the first things he says is that the Holy Spirit was upon him. The reason I want to stop here is because I need us to understand that the success, power, and effectiveness of Jesus' ministry was directly in response to the, to the Holy Spirit being with him. Everything that God calls us to do, we cannot do apart from the wisdom, the guidance, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the point I want to stress with this. If Jesus, God in human form, needed Holy Spirit to be presently active with him, how much more so do we need him? Second stop I want to take you to is in John 16. John 16, and we're going to start there in verse 7. So Jesus is now telling his 12 disciples, we've moved ahead three years. He has the 12 disciples. He's walking with them, and he's telling them, but in fact, 
it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Holy Spirit is a him, not an it, not a miss, not the force, not a power, not an energy, not an infinity stone. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. He's about to head out. He's letting them know it's better for them that he goes. And bonus, it's not our job as the church or Christians to convict people of their sin. It's Holy Spirit's. I'm going to do something real quick. Uh, Nelson, can you come up here? I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so. I feel like of everybody that's here in the room right now, Nelson probably looks most like Jesus looked like. So, I just agree with that. So, all right, if you can imagine Nelson in some off-white sandals with long, curly, Nazarene Jewish hair, curls, locks, flowing. This is Jesus. Jesus is standing here. I can touch him. I can feel him. I see him, I'm walking with him. We're not gonna go arm in arm because that's just awkward. But we're, let's just walk with me for a little bit. So we're walking together, we're walking, I'm seeing him do things, I can see him, I can hear him, I can feel his presence. All right, now you can go. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Now I want you to imagine the disciples. They spent three years with this man. They could physically see him. He was with them. They saw him rub dirt with his spit and make a blind man see. They saw him raise Lazarus from the tomb. They saw him feed 15,000 people with one kid's lunch. They saw all these things. And at the end of the three years, he says, hey, it's better for you that I go. I am going to send someone in my place who is going to be everything that I have been to you, but the catch is you're not going to be able to see him. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells the disciples that once the Spirit comes, they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. They are going to be able to witness and testify to Jesus. He's been with them for three years, but this is very different what he's telling them now. Because in Matthew 16, he's walking with the disciples and he's asking them, yo, what are people saying in the streets? What are people saying out there? Eh, well, they're saying CLB is like a seven, Donda's like a six, but no, no, no. What are they saying about me? Who do they say I am? It's like, oh, they say you're a prophet. They say you're Elijah, reincarnated. They say you're this person. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, at the time named Simon, says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. And Jesus says, only the Spirit could have revealed that to you. Now, don't tell anybody. Next chapter, Matthew 17, during Jesus' transfiguration, all that means is Jesus ascended to heaven. Jesus takes three of the disciples because only three of them could handle what he was about to show them. He takes them up to a mountaintop. There, Jesus' face starts glowing like the sun. Read it. It's in Matthew 17. They see Elijah and Moses. And the three of them are having a conversation. Part of this, as a side note, is because the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, had to testify to the coming of the Messiah in order to, for him to fulfill certain part of scriptures. But the point is, he brings John, James, and Peter. And Peter says, Jesus, it's amazing that we're here. It's such a good luck for you that we are here. I'm going to build an altar to all three of you. Because these are like the heroes. These are the all-stars. This is Jordan, LeBron, and who's the other greatest? Oh, those only two. And Kobe. This is Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe. We're going to build altars to all three of you. And suddenly, 
another voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son, listen to him. The disciples get scared. The three of them fall on their face. By the time they look up, Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, stand up. The other two are gone. What changed from Matthew 16 and 17 when Jesus told them in the NLT, it says that he sternly warned them not to tell anybody what they had witnessed, not to tell anybody what they saw. What happened between there and Acts 1-8 when Jesus told the disciples that they would be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth is the Holy Spirit coming upon them, the Holy Spirit being with them. Three years spent in proximity to Jesus. In order to be his witnesses, I want to first define what witnesses mean. We have a definition for you. Witness, a person giving a sworn testimony of an event that they witnessed to serve as proof or evidence of a person who serves as confirmation or evidence of something under oath. What does it mean when the Bible tells us that we will be witnesses to Christ to the ends of the earth? It means as Christ followers, we have to go and tell people that this man who at the time the entire world believed was crucified and dead, that he was very much alive, that he was the Messiah they had been praying for. He was the person that was just crucified. He was the only way to the Father. They had to testify to that. And before they had the Spirit, despite spending three years with him, if you read most of the Gospels, they asked a lot of silly questions. They never quite got it until that moment. Four verses later in Acts 12, 112, 120 people are in the upper room. This is our third stop. This is all the intro. Just follow along. Pause if you need to. Acts 1.12, four, four verses later, 120 people are in the upper room, and they're just waiting. Jesus told them to go wait, so they went back, and they're waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to show up. They don't know what Holy Spirit looks like. They don't know what he sounds like. They don't know what he's about to say. They don't know how he's about to give them power. Just go and wait. But whatever happens... When Holy Spirit shows up like a roaring wind, there's tongues of fire above them. Whatever happened in that upper room gave them the ability to witness to someone being alive without physical evidence to testify to what they were saying. They had to testify that Jesus was alive even though they had no physical evidence to prove that. So with that, now we're getting into the message. You still with me? Awesome. Thank you guys. Now, going back to the uh, definition of a witness, I want you to imagine being in a courtroom. Winning or losing a court case can very much be determined on the witnesses you have. The right witness can win you a case, the wrong witness can lose you a case. When a witness is called in a courtroom, the goal is to have this person's story, their testimony, be so powerful that the jury sees them and believes you are innocent or guilty based on the word of this person. So everyone who's watching, whether you're single or not, I want you to imagine you're single. Now imagine in order to go on a date with someone, you have to present your case. In order to do this, you have to bring forth five witnesses. You can't actually talk to this person. You want to ask this person out. You want to go on a date. The five witnesses will be presented in a courtroom, and the person you want to go on a date with can ask these people any questions they want about you. Think about the people you're going to choose. Don't choose your mom. That's too easy. Some people's moms would also just like, it's just going to be too exaggerated. Who would you call? Who would be the witnesses that you called? One of the reasons 
that so many of us as Christians have a powerless witness is because we have not spent enough time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not being represented well. The disciples who walked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who slept on a boat with Jesus, who saw this man wake up and calm the wind and the waves were not qualified in their own ability, in their own righteousness, in their own morality until the Holy Spirit was with them and they had his power, guidance, and wisdom to testify as witnesses to Christ. If they tried it before, they would have done more harm than they did good. Many of us today, like Julian said last week, the reason we go to God is because he's merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love, and there's so many Christians that are not. Many of us are not able to effectively testify to who Christ is because we are as hateful, as angry, as bitter, and as vengeful as many of the people who don't know who Christ is in the first place. The Great Commission, the sharing of the gospel, cannot be fulfilled without the power of the Spirit. When we represent Jesus, when we represent the kingdom, we are saying that this man is alive and we cannot do that on our own power. It's not as simple as telling people that Tupac is still alive somewhere in the Caribbean. It's not as easy as telling people that Elvis is in one scene of Home Alone. We are telling them that this man, who the world believed was dead, was very much alive. Whatever happened to those 120 people in that upper room changed the history of the world because 2,021 years later, we are still living based on the testimony of those witnesses. So my question to you is, what has Jesus called you to? Who has he called you to? What has he called you to testify to? What has he called you to be a witness to? What is the testimony that Christ has called you to give? Because facts and truth alone are not going to work. I'm not judging anybody, but at this point, 2021, we all know what cigarettes do. It doesn't stop people from smoking. Facts don't change behavior. Being articulate, having degrees, doesn't change behavior. You can go to school for six years, you can write a thesis, you can research for another 10 years, and you can put all the medical evidence out you want, and there's some dude on Instagram who's just gonna say, ah, I don't believe it, I Googled something else. It doesn't change anything. Do your words, actions, and character support what you say you believe? Do others believe that you believe what you say you believe? Have you spent time with Jesus? In the word, in worship, have you waited for the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you able to give a witness so compelling, so strong, that it will surpass the lack of physical evidence that we have? Nelson isn't up here with me. But if I know Nelson, if I have walked with Nelson, if I have spent time with him, I should be able to testify to you of who he is, of the father he is, the husband he is, the friend he is. But that alone won't do it because we are talking about something that the world needs. If you are a believer in Christ and you truly in your heart of hearts believe what the world needs is Jesus, spend time with him and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before you dare open your mouth to represent him. Our character has to reflect who he is. 
because if it reflects anything else, it's just hearsay. It's just he said, she said. We might as well all be out on a corner with a megaphone screaming at people that they're going to hell because there's no difference without the love and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pivot a little bit, change directions. Uh, I'm married. For those that don't know, that's why I'm wearing the ring. Uh, my wife and I, it'll be nine years in March of 2022. I feel like I'm just going to call it 10 years because the last two years, honestly, like we've had two kids, we've been in the house, COVID, I feel like we need credit. So we just might do, what is 10 years? Diamond, and what is diamond, that 50? I don't know, whatever, we're turning up for next year like it's 10 years. We're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary the next three years. My relationship with my wife is differentiated by the things that we do. Our children are evidence of our intimacy. The way I treat her versus the way I treat other women should make it obvious, even if you're in a room with me and don't know who my wife is, who she is, by the way you see me interact. We don't, as Christians, testify to a book of rules. We don't testify to a system. We don't testify to law alone. It's not about anything else but the person of Jesus Christ. We testify to a person. We testify to the person who blinded Paul on his walk to Damascus. We testify to the person, to a man who, despite me, half of my family being pimps and drug dealers, have a healthy marriage, have two kids who will never know that life. We testify to a person who, despite looking at the last two generations of both sides of my family, can't find a single faithful husband, is a faithful husband. We testify to a man who, despite brokenness, despite abusive relationships, despite a divorce, has my wife as one of the greatest wives, greatest mothers of all time. We testify to a man who changed our lives. We testify to a man who opened our eyes, who impacted our lives, who can take anyone at their lowest of lows and change the trajectory of their life. This is who we testify to, and if we don't believe it, we're crazy. If we don't believe that he rose again, we can confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, but when we really say that, do we understand what we're saying? When Jesus came, he had to tell the religious leaders that he was the main character of the scriptures that they recited, because in all their theological wisdom, they still missed it. He's the main character and the Holy Spirit is the only power, the only ability that allows us to be able to testify to who he is. What I want to share with you today is that Holy Spirit is not just a mist. It's not a feeling. It's not goosebumps that we get in worship. Holy Spirit is a he. It is a present person, a part of the Trinity. And without him, in our lives, without a relationship with him, without spending time with him, without getting used to hearing his voice, to hearing his guidance, to understanding the wisdom. When we pray, that is who we pray to for wisdom and guidance. He is the helper that made Jesus tell the disciples, it is better for you that I go. He is the person that is there for us, that is present with us. And today, too much of our teaching has replaced Christ as the main character with our own opinions our own politics, our own beliefs, our own denominations, our own feelings, our moon crystals, our horoscopes, mercury crescent waning or whatever else it is. And I don't mean to be um, dismissive if those are things that you believe in. I happen to believe in the man of Jesus Christ who changed my life. 
Nothing that I have in my life is something that I deserve based on who I am alone. Nothing from my past tells me that I should be where I am. And I can go down the line of every friend that I have, from Pastor Julian to Pastor Nelson to the people who were leading worship. Jesus changes everything. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't testify to who he is. I have to understand who he is. Thank you guys for joining me on my, on my road trip. I'm going to invite the team back up. Uh, and in closing, I just want to reiterate, what has God called you to testify to? Who has he called you to testify to? Have you spent enough time with Christ in his word, in his presence? Have you waited for the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to give a witness that would stand up against a lack of physical evidence? Because if not, what are we doing? Don't, don't give your life to something you don't believe. And if you have doubt and struggle with belief, I do all the time. But I come back to a record of everything that he has done in my life. I got to baptize my mom in the ocean at Santa Monica after years of just seeing what religion had done to her. I know we're in a crazy climate and there's a lot of evidence of things that don't represent Christ accurately, that are not infallible representations of who he is. We will never lead people to the lion and the lamb by fighting over the kingdoms of elephants and donkeys. We will never break generational curses in our own power. We will never heal from the relationships that try to break us and destroy us without the Holy Spirit. We will never, ever walk in the freedom waiting for the apologies from people who have passed on there is freedom in truth. And hear my heart, God and his kingdom have a set way of operating. There is an administration in the kingdom of God. There is a way of rule. There are ways of speaking, of thoughts, of the way we carry ourselves. But if you just read the Bible as a book of rules, without the power and the presence of Holy Spirit guiding you, it is going to be like a toddler trying to lift a weight that he was never meant to touch. It's going to be more dangerous for you than you realize. Over the next four weeks, we have some incredible friends of mine bringing you a word and revelation of Holy Spirit. My goal and prayer for you today is that you go into the next four weeks understanding why they are so important. Please don't miss one of the next four weeks. And if you do, watch it as soon as you get a chance. Oasis Online, I am praying for you. I am praying that Holy Spirit speaks to you wherever you are. I am praying that he is with you in your home, in your car, at school, at work. And I'm praying that you get to know who he is and get to know his voice so that you can effectively reach the people that he called you to reach, whether it be your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. Um, but first and foremost, I'm praying that he reaches you. Jesus didn't just die for people 2,000 years ago. He died for you. And if you were the only person here, he would still gladly give his life for you. Um, I want to make sure that I take an opportunity to invite anybody who has not decided to invite Christ into their heart, who has not 
asked Holy Spirit to guide them to do so. Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. Um, just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I want to believe. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And I want to be in relationship with you. Thank you for your spirit, for his guidance, for his presence, and for his wisdom. Please walk with me every day of the rest of my life. Help me make decisions based on your guidance. Help me to know you and help people see you when they see me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.